Right. Hi there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the Map Round Show. This is the Built in California series, where I'm shining a light on some cool founders doing amazing things in the world of business. AJ, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Matt. It's great to be here. So you're doing some incredible things at uh, Blossom. Uh, Blossom.team is the uh, website for everybody if you are interested. Uh, but AJ, uh, why don't you give us the elevator pitch? What's your background? Let's start with that, and then we'll get into the, the main meal of uh, Blossom. Sounds good. Sounds good. Um, so my background is actually in the professional development, leadership development space. Um, I started out really passionate about this space more from an academic perspective. Uh, so I focused on labor studies in my undergrad, just really fell in love with this meta idea of work, this this thing where we just dedicate so much of our life to work. It's a core part of our identity. It's the first thing, you know, you, you chat about with someone that you just met. Um, and in an interesting way, we're all a little bit unsatisfied with it. Um, so I continued my studies. I went to grad school, uh, did my master's in HR with a focus on IO psychology. Uh, and all my research was really focused about leadership development and team effectiveness. Um, I ended up pivoting into management consulting. So I spent about five and a half years at McKinsey and Company uh, as a consultant. Um, and then really kind of towards the end of that, when I was promoted to uh, an engagement manager and took on this leadership position, um, that was my first time working with an executive coach myself, which is a part of that uh, professional development journey at McKinsey. Uh, and I absolutely loved it. It reminded me of all the work and the research that I had been doing. Um, and it was just so effective for me at a personal level, uh, transitioning from an in individual contributor to uh, a team leader. Um, and unfortunately, the, the kind of McKinsey-sponsored period of time ended. Um, and I, I had this decision of, okay, do I continue working with this coach? It's been so monumentally impactful for my, my career. Um, and I saw the price tag. It was like six fifty an hour, uh, to keep going. I was like, okay, maybe not. Uh, and, and I realized there's something fundamentally wrong there, right? This, this, uh, intervention, this opportunity of working with a coach is so powerful and so amazing yet it's completely inaccessible to the majority of working professionals. Um, you know, CEOs and, and C-suite uh, execs are constantly working with coaches. It's always accessible to them. But for anyone else, really, it's this this really inaccessible thing. Um, I, I met my co-founder kind of going through a similar experience. We met at a, at a holiday party, and we got to talking of all things HR tech and coaching and professional development. Uh, we quickly realized there's a big problem out there that, that needed to be solved. And this was at the kind of beginning of the pandemic, right? When this is top of mind for everyone, the, the dissatisfaction with work. Um, so we got to collaborating, started uh, experimenting, testing things, you know, dusting off all of this research in the space from, from the last, you know, seven years and saw that there were just so many breakthroughs untouched by technology um, with a big opportunity to, to make a difference. So, so that's kind of how we got to work. So what is the problem that you guys actually solve? Is this about uh, career development? Is it about finding, attracting, and sourcing talent? Like where does the rubber hit the road for you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll start with like the, the main problem, right? So the main problem is we spend over 33% of our lives working 
And over 85% of us are deeply unhappy with that, right? Um, so that's a huge problem. Now, within that, there are a lot of different reasons. The number one reason people are dissatisfied, the number one reason people actually quit um, is because of a lack of career growth and development. That's kind of the number one thing people are really struggling with these days. Um, there's a myriad of other problems and other things kind of contributing to people's dissatisfaction, like, you know, uh, having a, a bad boss, conflict at work, uh, burnout, stress. Um, there's a there's a lot. And coaching kind of addresses all of those things head on. Um, so that's kind of, um, I guess, the, the short version, right? I didn't really give an elevator pitch, but Blossom is a digital coaching platform that's backed by all of these breakthroughs in multiple fields of science that contribute to, you know, the most effective form of coaching. Uh, and we bring all of that t together with analytics that actually let you measure your progress over time. Um, so we're solving problems for the individuals on Blossom, uh, working with their coach, as well as at a more kind of meta level the people leaders, so whether it's a chief people officer or a founder, um, that really want a solution for talent development, uh, employee experience, uh, and kind of growth and, and professional development for, for their organization at large. So one of the big trends that, or buzz terms, is like quiet quitting, you know, um, but obviously my view is like quiet quitting is going to get you fired if you're kind of on that train. Uh, you're at the coal face of all this whole kind of, you know, culture, career development trend. How important is, is quiet quitting something that you see um, happening on a daily basis? And if it is, how do we, you know, change that narrative? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, you know, my personal opinion and what we've seen um, even before this buzzword really took the spotlight is quiet quitting has been around. Um, the pandemic really put a spotlight on employee experience and uh, employee engagement and disengagement. But the, the phenomenon of quiet quitting has been around for a very long time, right? Um, even before there was that buzzword, people were frustrated. People were fed up at work. Um, Pre-pandemic, before even burnout was really top of mind for folks, uh, burnout was recognized by the World Health Organization as an actual ailment affecting people. Um, so people have been stressed. People have been unhappy. People have been quite quitting even before, uh, the, the brand name popped up. Uh, and it's a really big problem. And it's not just a problem for organizations. It's, it's a problem for the people that have to, you know, go through that experience. Um, people who are quite quitting, they're not doing it, you know, because it's fun and it's great. Uh, they're kind of at their wits end. Um, so we're kind of in a position now where we have a lot of shared incentives. Um, organizations don't want people to be quite quitting. People don't want to find themselves in a situation where they um, are feeling like they're quite quitting or have to be quite quitting. Um, so, so no one's really winning. So I, I think everyone has a, a pretty shared incentive to address this, this, uh, this problem. I've got your website up for, for everybody. Um, I'm on your for business page. Um, is the problem for businesses attrition? You're saying apparently you guys reduce attrition by up to 86%. Is that the, the kind of incentive for businesses from your perspective? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Retention is super top of mind uh, now more than ever for, you know, any, any organization. 
Um, even though in the past few months there have been layoffs and different sorts of, um, you know, economic pressure affecting folks. At the end of the day, the workforces that remain are a massive uh, flight risk. So this idea of the great resignation uh, is still really top of mind for people, leaders everywhere. Um, so the need to retain employees is, is um, very top of mind. Now, the interesting thing is when folks have thought about retention historically, it's been <laughs> very unsystematic and unscientific how you address it. So, you know, people, leaders, HR folks, they're kind of always trying to figure out the right balance between perks and development opportunities, just kind of guessing what will work to keep people happy, whether it's, you know, ping pong table, free yoga membership um, versus giving people what they um, need in terms of development and step up opportunities. And the really great thing about Blossom and why it's been so effective in retention is that now people don't have to choose. You don't have to choose between a perk versus a development opportunity. When you're investing in coaching, uh, you're doing both. You're giving a perk to your employees that also has the ROI in terms of growing them, developing their skills, uh, improving their engagement, their, their stress level, their burnout. So it's a really fantastic kind of best of both worlds uh, approach that's turned out to be really effective. So let's unpack the how here. Um, are you connecting coaches to people in the workforce? Like, is that what Blossom is fundamentally doing? Yes, that's exactly right. So we look at a ton of different variables on the individual side, on the coach side, and we facilitate a, a match between those people. So at a fundamental level, um, that's exactly right. We're connecting individuals and, um, you know, perfectly matched coaches. Uh, and that's all within our platform with a variety of exercises, content, uh, and other features to not only make sure that that match is fantastic, but that that person is getting uh, the resources they need throughout that coaching engagement. Um, yeah, so how, just to add, yeah, go ahead. Just to add one, one more piece as well. If you think about coaching pre-Blossom, um, it's been around for a while, right? CEOs, execs working with coaches. The part that's always been missing has been being able to really measure and quantify the impact of coaching. So with the Blossom platform, not only are you facilitating that match between an individual and a coach, uh, you're getting the analytics and uh, evidence of growth throughout that journey. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the matching process because that's got to be where your secret sauce is, right? Because <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you match me to a B-grade coach, like it's game over, you know what I mean? Like it's a pretty terrible user or customer experience if you like. Um, so how does the matching process actually work? So as an example, let's say that I'm a salesperson, right? Um, so my career development is to become more capable or competent at uh, rejection handling or objection handling or, you know, whatever the case might be, or just to be the number one, uh, you know, salesperson in my business. And I think this is a good point to talk about the difference between career development goals and skills because they're different things. And, uh, and, and then because they're different things, like how, how do you match someone against those two different use cases, if you like? Absolutely. So step one is the baseline and personalization aspect of it, right? So if you're Matt, you're joining, you're a salesperson, you have 
you know, uh, this idea in your head of where you want to improve, that's great, right? Some people don't. Some people are kind of in more of an exploratory phase. So we have uh, a baseline assessment that looks at 10 different dimensions of career development, professional development, um, between productivity, communication and presence, uh, interpersonal skills, conflict management. We go through uh, a series of questions that kind of ask you to reflect on a few of these things, uh, and then you get your results. Um, so for someone like you who's really keen on, you know, being the number one salesperson, productivity is probably super top of mind. Your baseline will probably reflect that. Um, you still have the choice to choose a different topic. Maybe your goal is a little bit different than, let's say, productivity in- enhancement. Uh, but if those do line up, that's great. You select that. A lot of stuff is going to be happening in the background for this, uh, as, you, as you said, the secret sauce of our matching algorithm. So we already know quite a bit about you after you went through our onboarding, your you know functional expertise in sales, what level you are. Let's say you're a, you know, a highly experienced individual contributor. Uh, we know about your industry. Um, we know all these different data points on your side of things. And now the topic of focus. As that's happening, we're kind of curating a list of coaches that are going to be the best match for you. Um, so looking at industry, looking at function, uh, looking at the expertise of coaches, whether you know it's a communications coach, a productivity coach, et cetera. Uh, and all of that's happening in the background. What you see is uh, three recommended best match coaches. Uh, you'll look through their profiles, get a bit of a feel about their interpersonal um kind of that chemistry, the fit, which is really important for, for a match, obviously. And you'll choose one of those three. Um, so in short, it's really a large set of variables about you as the user, an equivalent set of variables about the coach, and then a little bit of your preference um, and that qualitative assessment when you actually select one of them. We're constantly iterating and working on that matching algorithm because to your point, it's incredibly important. Uh, and we have an over 98% first match success rate, which is, which is really phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So how does, are you using like from a technology perspective, are you using things like AI and ML to do that match? Like how are you creating such a high accuracy of matching? Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of what we do on a regular basis is um, look at different traits and variables that haven't necessarily been a core part of the matching algorithm where we see strong correlation of match success. And then in the next iteration of our matching algorithm, we kind of bring those variables in. So it's constantly improving, it's constantly learning. Um, and we, you know, obviously we're incredibly science-backed and analytics-driven in everything we do from a product perspective. Um, it's no different for our matching algorithm. So the constant iterations and uh, machine learning element of it is really key to its success. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, 
books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. So on your website, you talk about tools, access tools in a community you can't find anywhere else. What are some of these uh, tools that, you know, customers of Blossom get access to? Um, and what are some of the outcomes that uh, these tools realize for your customers? Yeah. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So tools broadly refer to exercises and content in the Blossom platform um, that you will have access to depending on your area of focus and where you are in that journey. Um, I already mentioned one of them, which is that default baseline. Uh, another one that's very common and very popular is the daily reflection. So there's just been an absolute tsunami of science about the importance of mindfulness and self-reflection to growth and learning. Um, it's almost become like <laughs> pop culture knowledge or just cliche at this point, but the research is really interesting if you look at why. Um, the number one reason is it improves your self-awareness. So imagine Matt, at the end of every day, you know, you're kind of reflecting on how your day was, whether it was good or bad. Um, let's stick with the productivity example, how productive you were. Um, what led to that? What did you learn from that? What are you going to do differently tomorrow? That little two-minute habit of those daily reflections has been proven within 10 days to boost your productivity by over 25%. And if you look at the science, it's really interesting why that is. Our brains are kind of wired to learn and retain more memory um, through learning via reflection. It uses a very different part of our brain. Um, if you think from an education perspective, they've really adopted this. Um, so think about like the last uh, educational seminar you were in or kind of group workshop, something like that. It always ends with this kind of, okay, now everyone go around in the room and say, what are the three biggest highlights from this discussion? Or what's my takeaway for tomorrow? The reason that everyone does that is because it's proven to work. When you actually kind of think back on what you just learned and how you're going to apply it, you retain that to memory and it's, it, it leads to new actions. So daily reflections is one really, really important tool um, that's really popular amongst coaches and users across different uh, topics. Another one, oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, uh, uh, another example, let me give you one that's a little bit more um, topic specific. So sticking with this idea of career development, something that's very common to do early on in a coaching exercise uh, engagement is a, a values exercise. So this is looking across you know, um, a series of core values and ranking what's important to you. Now, this is personal. There's no right answer, right? Um, for me, I'm, my core values are around uh, adventure, creativity, and humor. So when you go through an exercise like that, it really surfaces what's important to you uh, and how it shows up in work on a daily basis. So from a career development and career exploration perspective, knowing about these subconscious values that have been kind of guiding uh, decisions you take across your career or workday uh, is very illuminating, uh, illuminating. And a coach will kind of use that to help guide 
how you're going to get from where you are today to your kind of goal and stage. So it's kind of like a values, a values elicitation. So figuring out like really what kind of ma- matters to you on an individual level and then marrying that and those insights against a coach that can help you achieve those sorts of outcomes. Right. <clears throat> so this is an evidence-based coaching program essentially for, uh, you know, for career development uh, oriented individuals. Absolutely. Um, evidence-based coaching is just such a fantastic set of research backed, you know, interventions proven to work. Um, so if you think about something more like life coaching, for example, there are some phenomenal life coaches and, um, you know, I don't want to disparage life coaching by any means, but at the end of the day, if you go work with a life coach, you're not really sure what you're going to get, um, in terms of what they're going to, um, you know, quote, prescribe to you what they're going to recommend with a blossom executive coach. It's completely different. Everything that your that your coach is going to recommend to you is going to be based off of decades of science, uh, expertise, um, and, and kind of functional relevance to you. Um, one good example of this that's kind of contrary to popular belief is think about the MBTI. Have, have you taken an MBTI assessment? Uh, what the hell is an MBTI? (laughs) It's, it's, uh, you know, like those four letter kind of personality categories, like, um, I'm an ENFP in, 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 uh, MBTI speak. And these are really common in corporate programs. You kind of do this MBTI program. You see if you're introverted or extroverted, um, Uh, if you're more of a thinker or a feeler. So this has been debunked by science, uh, you know, a long time ago as just not being a valid instrument, yet a lot of folks still use it and get exposed to it. The tool that has been validated by science is the five-factor model, the big five. Um, so as just one, you know, small example, a Blossom coach is never going to point you towards some MBTI-related exercise when it comes to that more personality uh, diagnostic type of instrument, they're going to go with the five factor model. Uh, and that's across the board with, with anything that happens on Blossom, always evidence-based and science-backed. So Myers-Briggs is the the thing. That's right. Yep. So yeah, now I know about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Myers-Briggs type indicator. Yeah, that's the, uh, the abbreviation, MBTI. Uh-huh. So so that's really what kind of from what I'm hearing uh, AJ that's what kind of makes you guys different. It's it's really understanding the science behind leadership and matching the science to a human. So it's almost like the marriage what what I'm hearing is it's like the marriage between humans, a coach, the career person, the employee, and then AI and science and data to create career development goals for uh, for businesses or for individuals within those businesses so that as a consequence, it reduces attrition. That's right? exactly right. Yeah. And to take that one step further, those same, you know, scientific exercises, features, and the analytics to measure your progress that exist at an individual level, we replicate that from a leadership perspective. So if you're the chief people officer uh, at one of the organizations where, you know, Blossom is is there for your people, you have a view, we, we call it the CPO, um, the people analytics dashboard. So you can see at an organizational level, how is your employee experience trending? You know, um, what are these topics that your people really are focusing on? 
Um, one example of how that's been super impactful for one of our customers has been um, we surfaced a really interesting trend around conflict management being the most important to, to the um, sales team at one of our customers. And what they did with that information was instead of kind of on this periodic basis, dedicating millions of dollars to random talent development initiatives or access to LinkedIn learning, they decided to dedicate a little bit of that to a conflict management group exercise for that team. Uh, they went through one of our recommended um, uh, exercises, the um, conflict management five types model. Uh, and it was incredibly impactful. And they saw the employee experience go up uh, for the quarter that followed. So this data isn't just helpful at an individual level. It also really moves the needle at a company-wide level. So what what are you hoping to create here? I mean, as an outcome, like what do you see the vision being as in, you know, in five years time for Blossom? Is it like a happier workplace? Is it, you know, better workforce retention? Is it none of those things? <laughs> yeah. I, I think it, it, it's all of those things and they go hand in hand, right? So a happier workforce, it, instead of having 85% of people feeling miserable at work, I want that number to go way down. So our mission is about addressing that problem and making sure that everyone feels satisfied, fulfilled, uh, respected, valued, able to grow at work, right? Um, like I said earlier, we just spend way too much of our life working for it to be this tedious, horrible experience where you wake up kind of miserable every, every morning. Um, so we want that to change. And as a result of that, your attrition goes down, your retention goes up, satisfaction goes up, productivity goes up, right? So this two-part mission really is, um, is intimately linked, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, I've often found like in between founding like 14 startups over the last 25 years, don't recommend that for anyone. <laughs> One's enough, dude. <laughs> uh, but like when I have been working at, uh, at like I spent a lot of time at Accenture, interestingly enough. And I think like your background with McKinsey um, is, is similar in the sense of like, I think they're, they're, they're actually quite good at doing career development. There's, there's proper policies and systems and processes and things in place in a consulting environment because their entire business is people. And I think in a, in a entrepreneur's environment or in, in a smaller business, like let's just say you have like 250 uh, employees or what have you, or maybe a hundred or 50, the smaller the business, the less recognition there is on the importance of this, of what this problem is around. In other words, if I speak to like, let's just say 10 startup, or I speak to founders every day. If I take the last 10 that I spoke to as an example, and I said to them, do you have a talent strategy? I reckon probably 10 of them would say no. As, Absolutely. As, you know what I'm saying? Like it's an afterthought rather than right. something that's part of your strategy because I think you and I know that like people are the – a business is literally just people working together, right, to achieve a, a vision or an outcome right. or what have you or change the world in a certain way. But if you take all the people out of the business, you've got no business. Right. right? You, you know, it's just – it's a truism. Why is that the case though? Why is this – such seen as such an afterthought. I mean, if we know that, uh, that, you know, if you have two businesses doing selling the same thing to the same people or the same customers, let's just say, and business a has a better team in the engine room, right. Then they will most likely win out at the end of the day. So if, if we know this to be the case, 
Why yeah. don't we why don't we think about this as being an, a strategic enabler? It's almost like HR is kind of like, oh, it's where you hire and fire people. But when you right. get into when you get into HR, it's it's complex. There's compensation. There's been like I did I did a project, funnily enough, um, at Accenture where we uh, I had I was leading a team of executives for a company that was merging across uh, four continents. And in the room, there was a hundred over 120 years of compensation benefits experience. Wow. across four people mm. it's super complex right yeah and so what we were doing was helping them figure out well, what does the future of compensation benefits look like across right. you know a hundred thousand employees it's a strategic enabler right it's right. not like because if you if you don't get that right like the consequences you lose people and you That's lose exactly performance right. so anyway I'm overbaking it, but why is this the case? Why don't we see it, uh, you know, talent as being a strategic enabler? And if it, yeah, know, and, and because we need this uh, in our businesses to grow, right? Absolutely. Okay. So I love this question. I could nerd out with you on this for like <laughs> hours. Um, so it, before I answer the question, I just want to say that's absolutely right. So our re- recent research has shown the first HR hires, the first people hires, often doesn't happen till. Uh, series B. That's usually when you bring in your first talent person, which is absolutely mind-boggling given how important it is, as you just underscored. Um, interestingly, I did my thesis research in, when I was doing my master's on the evolution of the people or HR function in startups. And the research is so clear that the earlier startups start investing in people as a function, uh, as a source of competitive advantage, the higher their performance is over time. The companies that don't, the lower their performance, many of them fold. So it's one of the most highly correlated indicators of success, and yet not many startups are doing it. And before we kind of, um, you know, give founders a tough time, it's really hard being, a, as I'm sure you know from, from all those startups, it's really hard. We have so many competing priorities. We're just trying to keep the lights on, make sure we don't run out of money, grow. And what happens is we end up not focusing on enablers until it's too late. So you don't invest in kind of the proper hiring uh, approach and legal approach to hiring until you get hit with a fine of some kind or your lawyer or accountant tells you, hey, you actually have to do this before um, you know, 30 days have passed of hiring an, a new individual. So these urgent things happen, they catch us off guard, you know, somebody quits um, because they're not kind of getting what they need from a developmental perspective. And then we start thinking about it and it's just the wrong way. Um, in addition to it being really hard, there's also no solution out there, right? Where where do you go as a founder who doesn't have enough time to think about these types of things for a one-stop solution to people development for your startup? The answer is is nowhere unless you uh, know about us, right? So we're trying to fit that uh, that spot. We're trying to fill that vacuum um, and be the place where founders can find an easy, straightforward, affordable, and scalable solution to people development at their company. Um, we have a self-onboarding flow that we're developing now based on all the different founders that we work with. And because we've seen so much success uh, with startups, we're really doubling down there um, because there's such a massive need. It makes such a big difference in performance. Um, and, and to your point, uh, it's being really grossly underutilized. So there's a huge opportunity there 
Um, and, and we're really excited to be, to be serving it. Well, the other thing to say is that, you know, founders don't have time, you know, like who's going to, I'm not thinking about that. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out like what nail to hit or how to, how to build a better product. Or maybe I'm, I I think it's at seed stage, especially, I think, uh, it's like, I'm interested in funding and product. Right. You know, and and some talent because I can't build the thing without, (laughs) without an engineer, but I'm, right. but but you know I, but I, but I'm thinking quite um, I'm pigeoned in my thinking right, right. In, the, in the sense of like I'm not thinking how to keep them right. or or how to get the best out of them you know right. what I mean or how to until it's too late until it's too late yeah exactly yeah. I mean there's a lot that's, of startups that engineers can go to you know to to build exactly. stuff exactly yeah that's why it's so interesting that the stat I shared about the people team development it's very different for second time founders. So we do eventually learn, right? When these mistakes happen, when people leave, when you lose the folks that you spent so much time and money hiring. Um, so the second time around, you kind of learn your lesson a little bit and focus a little bit uh, earlier on in the process. So that's that's been very interesting to see. Um, there's one other way I think our thinking as founders is a little bit pigeonholed, and that's from working with a coach ourselves. Um, so interestingly... Uh, um, I, I saw a stat that the post series A founders, um, actually over 40% of these folks work with an executive coach themselves. So imagine, you know, you're, you're a founder, you're working with an executive coach, uh, you're paying that, you know, thousand dollar per hour rate. The last thing you're thinking of is, wow, this is so fantastic. I'm going to get this for my whole, it's impossible. It's completely unscalable. So that unlock that shift in thinking to see that this really is feasible and accessible for me to roll out to my whole company and for me to track all these metrics that I, you know, previously hadn't been able to see at all uh, has been a huge unlock for, for founders. And that's why we're seeing so much traction with startups. What do you say to a founder who's like, yeah, I've, I've, I've got a coach already, you know what I mean? Or like even just an individual. Cause I think there's, um, I was talking to Matt Savrick recently. He's a coach based out in Florida and he charges like six figures, you know what I'm saying? Right. To, to coach. Um, right. So like there's him and other uh, coaches who charge a, a lot of money because of the value that they create. And then like you mentioned life coaching. So like if you say to me, Matt, here's Greg, Greg's a life coach. I'm like, no dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not interested in a life coach. I'll coach myself. But but context here, if I'm a founder and you say to me, here's a mastermind group, which essentially is like a peer-driven coaching session, right? Where you get perspective and all that kind of stuff. Like, that's that's interesting to me. Why is there such a stigma around coach, coaching in general? Yeah. So uh, I think the, the first thing I'll say is founders need support. And I don't think you have to make a choice between where you get your support. If you're a founder, you have a life coach that you have found success working with. You have a mastermind where you get those, you know, peer perspectives and it's really fantastic for you. And you have your executive coach, um, where, you know, it's been massive for you in your evolution as a leader. Then that's great. Kudos to you for kind of getting yourself the support you need. All too often, I think you see the opposite of that, which is suffering in silence, not having any resources whatsoever. Um, so it's, if somebody has multiple sources of support, that's great for them. I mean, speaking personally, I have um, a, a health coach that I work with. I have uh, my executive coach. 
my co-founder and I both work with a kind of co-founder um, group style coaching uh, approach. So the more, the merrier. The experience that I've seen so far with the founders that we work with, a few of them actually have um, started out not working with the Blossom coach. They've actually rolled it out to their team and then over time started working with different um, specialist Blossom coaches. So kind of going on a really topic specific basis. So working with a coach dedicated and um, really specialized in communications and presence as the company's growing, you're giving more of these town hall meetings. Um, you, you really want to focus in on that specific skill. And that's usually how they, you know, first get their experience with a Boston coach and then eventually um, kind of make the switch. Some folks don't, and that's okay. Um, Blossom is all about flexibility. So if you're super happy with your, um, you know, six figures a year coach that you're, you, you know, and you think it has that ROI, it's creating the value, it's worth it, then that's great. Um, you, you can configure the Blossom um, cohort as you see fit. So you kind of say, you know, here are the teams that I have. I want everyone in the company to work with a coach. Cool. Uh, I want just my managers, VPs, and up to be working with coach. Also totally fine. Um, for bigger corporates, we do a lot of high potentials programs. So that'll be like this identified group of uh, emerging talent or next generation leaders in the company. So it's totally customizable. Um, and, and really, there's no constraint when it comes to defining uh, your, your cohort for Blossoms. So AJ, um, I think what you've done is is relevant. The timing is is so so important right now. There's a lot of talk about millennials, Gen Zs, quiet quitting, attrition, you know, this kind of stuff, getting the right people into the business. Um, but and I also think that what you've done is really really hard to do. So uh, I want to have a bit of fun here. So if I gave you the keys to the Matt Brown Show time machine, and I said, "Cool, go back to day one." Right, or yeah. even when you were in McKinsey, and you could give yourself a piece of advice about uh, about growing this startup or building this startup, what would that advice be? That's a great question. Um, honestly, I think I would I would tell myself to just forget everything I thought I knew about being an entrepreneur, about being a founder, and just start from square one from a learning perspective. Uh, I think so many founders have this dream of, you know, founding a startup, what it means to be a founder, what it means to be an entrepreneur. Um, and, and this kind of like approach to a startup in their head. Um, and I think forgetting all of that and starting with a completely open slate is the way to go. Um, so early on in the blossom journey before blossom was even blossom, um, you know, the, the problem we were solving never changed, right? Like the dissatisfaction, burnout, um, quiet quitting as it's now called. But the, you know, first, uh, at bat that we took of solving it, we didn't do it, uh, in terms of like listening to users, doing a lot of research, iterating quickly. We, we did the exact opposite of that, which is building in a vacuum. It, it, we, we thought we'd build it and they'll come, right? Um, so I wish, I, I think it was, incredibly valuable from a learning perspective. Uh, everything we did completely changed after that, you know, those first few months of, of building and testing. Uh, so it was a really valuable learning experience. But if I could go back in time, 
uh, I'd say, hey, you know, maybe just uh, join YC Startup School, watch a couple of videos, um, and and you'll kind of avoid some of those early on mistakes. Um, so yeah, I think that that might be it. But at the same time, I'd be tempted to say, here are the keys. You know, it was a good learning opportunity, so we'll we'll stick with what happened. <laughs> So, so just to be clear here, what is your point of view? If you build it, will they come? Yes or no? No. (laughs) (laughs) You have to build with them and you have to bring them along uh, as you're building. And it's kind of a a partnership that never ends. I mean, even till this day, um, like I said, the, the kind of analytics driven approach that we have for our product isn't just for our users. It's us internally. That's how we operate. So whether that's iterations and improvements to how we do matching to um, any other aspect of the product, it's what our users are telling us they want, what our uh, coaches are telling us they want for the coach experience. So everything is um, a collaborative kind of open door user led approach to product development. Um, and I think that's just a basic fundamental part of of the startup journey that you you have to learn very early on. Mm-hmm. And AJ, how do you elicit feedback from users in such a way that it's uh, insightful? Because I think there's feedback, right? And like this, this is less feedback. But how do you evaluate that feedback so that you take action on the, the right things at the right time, not the wrong things at the right time? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think there's lots of different types of feedback. There's direct or explicit feedback, uh, which to your point can be subject to some biases or um, you know, incorrect data. And then there's, there's just data, right? There's truth in feet. Like if somebody joins, um, a, a, a new product and they churn four days later after some, you know, feature was pushed to them, that's not necessarily verbal feedback, but that's feedback. That's data telling you uh, a very clear story and a very clear takeaway. So on the first type of feedback around conversations and research, um, you have to be very thoughtful in both the user interview types of approach, you know, the mom test. There's a, a ton of UX literature about how you run these interviews successfully in an open way with a listening ear. Um, and there are um, tons of uh, benchmarks and examples and guidance when it comes to crafting the right surveys, et cetera. Um, so that uh, I think is a very like solvable problem. You just have to read and be open to learning and doing things differently mom test is a great place to start when it comes to data driven feedback there are a lot of different tools that we use um we do a lot of a b testing and experimenting we're kind of building out our uh growth and retention stack as we speak to get even deeper uh analytics um we're uh yeah uh, one thing top of mind is we're launching our uh, mobile app October 15th, our new iOS app. And we've done a complete kind of redesign of the journey based on uh, both types of user feedback. And uh, we're going to be very closely monitoring how that journey looks uh, in the first few weeks post-launch. And we'll kind of be iterating uh, from there. So lots of data and lots of listening, I think, is, is key. Can we spend a minute or two on this mom tests thing? <laughs> I haven't heard it, but now I found the book. 
yeah. the, the mom test, how to talk to customers and learn if your business is a good idea when everyone is lying to you. And that's actually a truism, right? Because I think no one will tell you you suck to your face. <laughs> do you need this? Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So what is the mom test? Like how are you applying? Well, what is it and how are you applying it in your, uh, in your business? Yeah, I mean, so it's really... Uh, the title is a really big part of it, right? People lie to you and it's not a malicious lie. It's not, you know, people are trying to deceive you. It's just, if you, if you don't ask questions the right way in an open way, or if you ask the wrong question, you're not going to get the right answer and you might be getting a lie. Um, the other really important, um, this, this isn't like a very clear takeaway from the book, but it's something that, that I thought of also from the title and the examples used. If you're, getting feedback from your mom, you're getting very biased feedback. And early on, um, this goes a little bit to the time machine question. In some of our early builds, we were leveraging our close network for a lot of the feedback and the testing. Um, much, much easier said than done, but it's really important for you to get feedback from neutral third party folks. Um, that even the smallest, you know, little, desire to sugarcoat or be nice to you uh, won't exist. You need to find people like that. And the best way to do that is to kind of solve a problem for them that they've been really struggling to solve. Um, the early adopters are the best source of valid, you know, unvarnished feedback because they're the folks that have such a big problem uh, and, and have no real solution that they found. Um, so finding that community, finding those people and both speaking to them and seeing how they use your product is going to give you, uh, mom test approved, uh, insights. Cool. Um, great stuff. So AJ, let's wrap this up. Uh, one more question for you. Why do you do what you do? Like what gets you out of bed in the morning? Mm. That's a great question. Um, so I, I think our, we're very, very fortunate to have a mission that is real and tangible and you can see the impact of it uh, in real life. I think for a lot of companies, your mission or your purpose, you have to make a couple of jumps to see how it eventually like helps people, right? With Blossom, it's we're really fortunate because you don't have to make any jumps. You are actually seeing and hearing people's lives change for the better uh, in a very real way. And it's just fantastic. Like from all of our stakeholders, uh, whether it's coaches, individuals, our customers at a corporate level, it's just so fantastic to see improvement that helps everyone, um, at work and alleviates these problems that are very real and serious. Like think about burnout, for example, you were at Accenture and with all this experience founding a company, like when, if you've ever experienced burnout, you know how massive it is to alleviate some of that. Um, I, kn I know that personally, right? Even with my own coach, when I was working through things like burnout and imposter syndrome, it was night and day uh, after each session, after um, the, uh, the full engagement that I had. So seeing that level of impact happen at scale uh, is incredibly motivating and, um, you know, makes the whole uh, makes the whole journey really worth it. Mm -hmm. AJ, 
love what you're doing. I dig you as a dude. I think you're doing rad stuff. Um, Likewise. I can, Thanks, <clears throat> I can clearly see you, you're motivated to make the world a better place, which is why I do this show uh, and why you're building what you're building. So very excited to see where you're going to go over the next few years. I know you've got aggressive growth targets, so I'm pretty sure you're going to get there. So thank you for being here. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, Matt. I really, really appreciate it. And, and the feeling is mutual. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime, buddy. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Ciao, ciao. All righty. Thank Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.